Welcome to the Skillset Podcast, brought to you by the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina and Publishers Weekly. I'm David Lankus, Professor and Director of the School. Libraries connect and work together. This is just taken as a truism in the field. Interlibrary loan, consortia, union catalogs, together. However, working together and connecting is not a simple task. Different library types, different locations, different philosophies can often form substantial hurdles to overcome. Now throw in different histories, cultures, languages, and political systems, and then you begin to get a sense of what connecting libraries across Europe is like. This is the challenge that today's guest, Alona Kish, has taken on. Public Libraries 2030 seeks to connect innovative librarians across Europe into a a true continent-wide advocacy network. Alona runs a small operation with an outsized effect. She accomplishes this by building networks of people and ideas over institutions and agencies. I wanted to know more in this conversation. Good, uh, good afternoon and or early evening. It's always fun. I, I'm, uh, I've figured out after you know 50 years on this earth, I just can't figure out time zones. So thank you for at least being awake when we're doing this. Yeah, I'm awake. Ilona, you are um, a kindred spirit by all good means. Uh, and yeah. one of the reasons uh, I've asked you this this semester, that's how we're, we're organizing the podcast around semesters, um, we're talking really about the community and how the community fits. And a lot of time in library land, we talk about that from the sense of a library and a geographic community or an academic library and a student base. But you have really spent the last good amount of years working around the idea of an entire continent <laughs> being being the community and talking about how you understand and advocate for that community. Can you tell us a little bit about um, PL 2030 and PL 2020 that sort of led into that? Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, PL 2020 was the origin organization and it came out of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's Global Libraries Program. And I think they had perhaps belatedly realized that um, uh, if you wanted to do something interesting with libraries at Europe, you had to engage with the European Union. So they'd done a round of investment in library sectors or library groups in Eastern Europe, and they wanted to kind of consolidate and capitalize on that. Um, so then the question was, um, what role do libraries play with the European Union policies? How is the European library community organized? They'd funded some research early on, which had shown that there are around 65,000 public libraries across the EU, then 28 member states. Um, and by this, I mean buildings, you know, like, you know, like there'd be less services or agglomerations in cities and stuff like that. So um, we kind of started to look at um, how you build effective advocacy and a sector presence towards the EU when technically the EU doesn't have any funding or policy making powers with regards to libraries. Done at municipal level, it's done at local level. Um, Traditionally in the EU, anything that touches on kind of culture and identity is closely held at national or local level. So um, that was the kind of interesting challenge. And at the same time, to start trying to get librarians and the library community to connect with the EU policymakers in a different way and think about it strategically, not just as a potential source of funding. Um, so we ran that program for five years. It was great. We built up a lot of 
relationship and political capital in Brussels with uh, both the European Parliament, which is the directly elected officials, and the European Commission, which is the executive body. And then we had a community of practitioners, leaders of some of the most interesting library services in Europe, and then yourself included. Um, we brought us all together and said, look, is there a need for an organization like this to continue? Slightly unusual, I don't know how it would be in the US, but in Europe, a kind of advocacy and practice network working together. You know, So it's not a membership organization, it's not a lobbying consultancy, but something that really combines a values-based advocacy. And the strong feeling of the group that we brought together was yes. Uh, so PL2020 uh, became PL2030, slightly unimaginatively, <laughs> but uh, we had a lot of strong brand recognition and we were doing this in 2018 at the time. So it was kind of like, where might we be in 10 years time? Um, what's the complementarity that we bring to the associations and the other work that's going on with the library sector in Europe? Uh, and that was nearly two years ago now that we launched as an independent NGO. So no more core funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or anything else. And, and what's what I find fast and what I find really fascinating about PL twenty thirty and it's been a fabulous is that it, you know, we've been talking a lot about communities. And when you talk about a library, you talk about oh well, those are the citizens around me, et cetera. Or even in a country, you can talk about the citizens. But but one of the things that I, I really respond to is that PL2030 is very much a community of librarians talking about themselves. During this entire pandemic from the closing and reopening and such, it's been an extremely valuable, I think, um, organization, really network of groups coming together and saying, hey, this is what's happening here. This is what's happening there. Is that a fair assessment to talk about sort of a community of libraries? Yeah, and I think remarkable because it's transnational. You know, I, I think one of the things that kind of emerged was that in a pandemic, you need your tribes. You need to know where to go for support. But this was, I think, exceptional because there's really, really diverse experiences. You know, people struggling with the pandemic under very, very different legislative experiences, different protocols, different perceptions that changed over time. Um, and I think it reinforces what we know already is that the time to build a network is not in a crisis, but beforehand, you know, so those relationships were already there. And then what was great is that we had um, what were a couple of quite intense, intending to be private conversations, but that we just were then able to share publicly um, because there was such a richness of sharing and of different experiences in Germany it's happening this way in the UK this way in Sweden etc etc um, so I think one of the things that we're we're playing with now is how can you keep that richness of those personal trust and relationships that build up over time but find ways of sharing that with wider communities as well you know and I think that's a a constant challenge you know this is the library sector still has a lot of evolving and developing potential and um you know i think it's natural that you know that excellence of practice often sits in bubbles um so i think we managed to do a little bit of that during the pandemic and it's certainly um certainly the feedback we got was like really really appreciative 
that breadth of you know i think that i'm a trustee of the um uh libraries connected in the uk so the uk uh, librarian uh local governments and i saw what they were doing to support and encourage each other um but of course there's a kind of um uh homogeneity of experience you know in terms of the government that they're experiencing the approaches to the pandemic there was no no compare and contrast with other approaches other ways of seeing things other ways of you know and i think that's that's always been for me one of the most important things with pl 2030 is bringing a richness and a diversity of experience to the table um, and a respect for difference of practice as well which is really yeah, yeah really i the, I mean, we've talked for a long time about connecting the innovative librarians together and connecting, finding the, the great libraries because, but it, it's not a homogenous definition of what makes them unique or pushing forward. I mean, as you say, what is excellent service and with the Handelors doing in, in Germany and what um, Tan was doing in, in the Netherlands and what's going on in Denmark. And so it's, it's a, I think a really great example where community, diverse communities can come together and share yeah. diverse experience, but have a common goal for sort of pushing ahead how we serve it. Speaking of which, can you talk a little bit about what the, the Lighthouse libraries are, how they fit into that equation? Yeah, so this is just a kind of um, really informal effort to kind of expand our core founding group. And, um, you know, so our founding group is really made up of excellence in practice and in practice across the library world and it was like well who else is out there who maybe is not going to play a direct role in the organization but that we want to start to involve as a kind of pool of excellence and best practice and very informally we kind of thought well a minimum of one or two really great libraries per country um but according to no no very tight criteria you know, really based on personal relationships, based on personal experience, on desire, willingness to engage at European level, experience of having done so, um, you know, some sense that they were really pushing the boundaries, you know, definitely something around innovation, um, having an experimental willing to fail kind of mentality. Um, and so now we have maybe 50 or 60 libraries in that group. Um, and again, very, very informal, uh, where it's a kind of first go-to point. You know, if I want to know something about the libraries in that country, I'll go to one of the lighthouses in that country. And I know they'll be responsive and have a basis for understanding what my question might be, you know, which is already pretty great in terms of having, you know, 25 or 26 countries that you can call up and say, tell me how it is in Italy right now. You know, and I'll get an informed response. You know, yeah. so so that's what we. You know, and I think we're at a point where we need to think about whether we want to formalise that, extend it more. It's. I'm a big fan of the non-bureaucratic, non-fee-paying network. Um, <laughs> you know, but then there's a kind of as you get more well known, then there's a question about transparency. Why can't I be a lighthouse library? um do i want to be one what do i get out of it what you know um and i think we've so far not had to answer or ask those questions you know it's interesting when when working around and on the, the lighthouse libraries and other projects we're we're part of a, of a new grant that's about to get started yeah. um on 
cross-border collaboration uh, and, and building connections. But one of the conversations that's going on right now here in the United States, obviously, is around diversity and very specifically about racial diversity uh, and the notion of systemic racism and how libraries respond to it. Um, and I know that that's a, a concern over in Europe and that's something that, that the PL2030 group is sort of beginning to take on. Um, yep. But the other part that I'm, is, is there are lots of other approaches to diversity. And I think my experience of working in Europe and with the European Union is that geographic diversity is um, really important when you're working on projects and talking about lighthouse libraries. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, we don't want them all in sort of the, the, the northern, westernmost corner of the yeah. continent. Um, can you talk a little bit about that cross-border collaboration? I mean, when, when you seek to find like-mindedness, um, mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you sort of overcome some of this geographic sensitivity and or lack of sensitivity going on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years now, and I think it's bread and butter for all European organizations, you know, and, and then we've kind of developed strategies over the years. And, you know, the first thing to acknowledge is that um, we work in English, mm. and that is uh, the one condition of participation which is problematic, you know. So for any person to be able to participate at European level, they have to have a reasonable level of English. And we haven't really found a way around that yet. You know, now obviously if there are big conferences or big events, you can arrange for interpretation and translation, but in terms of working, you know, on a tight project or some sort of collaborative adventure, then that, you know, so that for me as a native English speaker, that I have an advantage, but then that puts, a huge amount of pressure on other partners um, to be able to, you know, so you're a small library in Romania and you have to have somebody who can speak English before you can even, you know, open the door. And I think that's something that we're very, very, very aware of. Um, you know, so perhaps a little bit more visual stuff, a little bit more stuff written down that people can read in advance. Um, uh, really really taking time over understanding um different ways of working different cultures of working um you know uh typically french collaborators will like to have lots of theoretical layout without many visual props the brits will like to start with a joke before anything you know except you know and, and i think sort of taking you know you need to spend a lot more time which i think is actually good in any projects or you know group situation in you know finding how who people are what they're bringing to the table how they typically want to work um and then remembering that um the library community is a local government community and that when you're looking at you know the the culture of local government from west to east varies dramatically you know in terms of freedom of expression, um, you know, there are many systems, government systems that are still in place, you know, since the, since the fall of the Berlin Wall in 89, and, you know, that there, there are significant cultural differences. So, you know, and then I think what happens is, is that you get um, actors who become ambassadors and sometimes gatekeepers for their cultures and communities, because they get good at that, and they get good at 
um, you know, uh, communicating across borders or participating in transnational groups, understanding that when you can travel, which is not really the case at the moment, there's uh, massive differences in resources. Travel budgets, um, you know, hotels in Romania don't cost what, you know, the cost in Denmark, for example, that kind of thing, you know, so you just need to bring a lot of patience and a lot of sensitivity to the table. Um, it is quite interesting. I find I find Europe a very white place to be. And that's a challenge at every level, uh, including our own. Um, it's not because you've got an Italian, a Romanian and a Greek in the room that you're diverse right. necessarily, you know, in terms of education, in terms of background. And of course, you know, many EU countries have different experiences of migration, different different post-colonial histories, difficult different experiences of their own um, minorities and their own migration experience. So, you know, not to mention, for example, the Turkish community in Germany, for example, you know, which is very big in some countries, in some cities. Um, but I love it. I love that richness. I love that. Um, you know, I I, I find it. It's so fascinating to not be in a monocultural situation, to see how differently people see things and what different things they bring to the table. And I think as a white Westerner, it's also very humbling because we're often sitting there. We often feel like we're the ones that have to teach, mm. um, but we can learn so much um, from practice, particularly from countries that are a bit more resource poor sometimes because what they may not have in resources, they often have in innovation, ingenuity, imagination, creativity, um, because they might not have, you know, similar resources to throw around. Not that anybody in the library community has yes. resources to throw around, but you know, there is a, there's a clear difference between, you know, some communities in terms of funding, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because I'm thinking about what you, one, this notion of trying to reach out and bring the entire European Union together when you're going for funding, et cetera. There's, there is a structure built into the European Union Commission and such that sort of forces slash incentivizes people to look across traditional sort of peer groups, as it were. But I, I want to pick up, actually, because the minute you said it, it, it made a big click in my mind, which is the notion of these folks who become ambassadors within the community because you know PL2030 is not a staff of 60 people working in a high-rise office in Belgium I mean it really is a small organization that has had a huge impact and I, I mean that not only in the group that you pulled together but you know particularly in engaging elected European Union ministers engaging the European Commission to, as you say, they don't have direct responsibility, but they're starting to truly realize and understand the, the power and authority in libraries. Can you can you talk a little bit, I think part of that success, once again, correct me if I'm wrong, is in identifying what those ambassadors are for the different groups of going into Italy and going into Hungary and going into Estonia and saying, ah, this is a person that really can, is a, yeah. a connector uh, that if we can, connect them in it really does bring a whole community with them is that a fair approach yeah it totally works and you know not not to underplay the achievement it was such low-hanging fruit and it was just you know the european parliament is a very open institution uh there are 751 elected officials and depending on the country they'll either have some sort of 
So the member of the European Parliament, the MEP, will either have a regional responsibility or be on a list, you know, um, at a national level, which is the case, say, for the Netherlands. And, um, you know, they, they, really, they really do have a relationship with their home country, with their home constituents. They're there representing their country's interests. And the number of MEPs per country is determined according to population. So, you know, roughly, you know, there's some sort of equivalencies there. And so, you know, when we came in, um, you know, that at the time, any conversation in the European Parliament was about copyright and dominated by the publishers. And libraries were just not visible, you know, as a community, um, as, you know, as even something that authors might think were good. <laughs> you know this kind of sort of basic stuff and um you know, I spent my first sort of few years you, you can really go and see these officials relatively easy I mean they're busy of course but you know the building is I mean it's security control but it's relatively open there's times and places where you can meet po these politicians and I would be telling them about the libraries and I you know I'd show them this and I'd show them that and then I just sort of thought you know the most valuable thing is if we get them into the libraries show them and we find a way to connect them with their national library representatives. If there's a great association or a great association spokesperson, wonderful. If there's a really fabulous library. Um, and so we started off by having a kind of library tour. And the very first uh, politician that we got in was the president of the parliament, Martin Schulz, um, coming into Cologne. And uh, how was that possible? Because um, the director of the Cologne Public Library, Hannah Laura, does her job well, knows the mayor of the city. Schultz is from Cologne. He's a big football fan. There's a football match that Saturday afternoon <laughs> and they'll come into the library an hour before. And he says to me, I haven't been in a library for 15 years. I had no idea. You know, and that really kind of gave us this sense of if we can match up a great library and a great library you know, professional with a politician, we're onto a winner. We'll return to our interview in just a moment. First, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor for the podcast, the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina. Interested in librarianship? Then join a nationally ranked program with over a quarter century of experience educating leaders in the field online. From the State Library of Vermont to San Francisco to the Business Library of Oxford University, our graduates lead in schools, cities, and states around the U.S. and beyond. Now, let's get back to our interview. So then we took the next step and we just said, look, why don't we just set up a kind of informal support group or caucus? There are some mechanisms for that. We kind of missed the deadlines for all of that kind of formal stuff. We said, we don't care. We'll do an informal group. And we just said, do you want to join an MEP Library Lovers Group? because you think libraries are great and they're pillars of the community and they need to be supported. 100 MEPs said yes, which is, I think, the second only largest group in the parliament after the Beer Lovers Association. <laughs> so, you know, and obviously within that, there is a small group of MEPs who really do understand the serious work that libraries are doing and want to support them. But what that gave us uh, the opportunity to do was, um, once a year, host an event in the European Parliament um, where we did a kind of um, speed dating um, system where we'd have at least one or two people from each member state of the European Union and we'd get them to set up quick meetings with their 
politicians. And again, I think on most of the years that we did it, we've had 80 to 90 MEPs come through in one day, which is unheard of. There's an exhibition every day in the parliament on everything from you know agricultural products to whatever you like um and that has just you know i i kind of see it like library takeover of the parliament week and it's like once a year where we can remind them that we exist that we're doing useful work and that then when they come home they go to their local libraries often they stop being european politicians and become local politicians or national politicians and those relationships can be forged in perhaps less stressful environments or easier to um, connect with environments. And there's just, there's a hundred great stories from those speed dating events where, you know, there's been some really fantastic meetings between European politicians and librarians who may have not ever spoken to a politician before. And, and a couple of things have emerged out of that conversation opportunities, right? For example, um, when the EU uh, vote was coming up, the idea of, of how we can get, how can we get European uh, folk in these different countries, different attitudes, different backgrounds to to participate in the European-wide um, government. I, I'm, it, it really is once again that idea of building a community. But it seems to me that a lot of work of what PL2030 does is you have two fronts, if you will. You have one working with the uh, MEPs working with the elected European Commission, getting them aware. The other is actually with the library community, um, mm -hmm. getting them to see the possibilities of public libraries from a sort of in community engagement level. So mm -hmm. working with national libraries that that may have traditionally seen their role as collectors and you know large collections, large resource preservation, and not very much engaged in public libraries or even some public libraries that see themselves very much around collections and, and a building and much less around the community. Is that, you know, it really does seem like there's these two attempts to, yeah. you know, show off to the MEPs, but at the same time work with the libraries to make sure you have something to show off. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. And I think I think that's where we feel, you know, that it would be nice to have an army to do that and that's where language starts to be a challenge and where you know just capacity to almost to travel to evangelize to talk about you know and I think even in the seven years we've been doing this I think some of the basic messages around community librarianship are becoming more mainstream I think maybe seven years ago they were still they were perhaps seen as a little bit more radical or revolutionary and you know the eu work that we do i mean that gives some interesting hooks around digital skills around educational role of libraries um you know which which can lead on to a more open conversation which says what cannot happen in the library and I, that's what i always want to sort of say is, well you know what you know you, st you still have library librarians who say well this shouldn't happen in the library so well why not mm -hmm. why 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 if we can teach people but we're not schools then why can't we now you know draw the line at open heart surgery <laughs> you, know, but, you know that kind of sense of if the community needs it and there's a fit then there's there's no can or can't you know within some sort of very clearly you know as long as as long as we're clear about our ethical uh, values driven approach to supporting and serving the community 
so I think the next that's that's the sort of next challenge really is um what what how can the librarians feel empowered and supported to embrace a broader role for their libraries to not be afraid of opening the doors to perhaps give over some space to something other than collections um you know and 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 there's a i mean you know it's interesting i don't know how you cover this in in your course you know the the tension between a quote unquote traditional librarian job of being a curator of collections which might tend to attract a shyer quieter personality type to the skill set required to engage productively with the community um which isn't served by not wanting to be bothered hmm. you know and thinking about how you recruit people into the library space or you make space for people who have the ability to reach out to the community to engage with them differently um so you know i, I think that there there's some yeah, I think there's still some challenges in, in, in terms of how we reach reach more libraries to support and encourage them to transform their way of thinking around librarianship. Well, and I'm thinking of, of the, the sort of collection of of great librarians that are in, in your orbit, that, that you're working with, that you connect. And, and one of the things that really, I think, sets them apart is not only are they really absolutely passionate and dedicated to helping their communities, but they really see part of their obligation as helping to transform libraries across borders. I'm thinking um, Eric, who who is clearly a superstar, has been a superstar in the Netherlands and spends a huge amount of time over in the UK, you know, creating the, the um, different library environments in there and around, around the European Union. I'm thinking of, um, uh, Marie, who in Denmark, in, in uh, oh, he's blanking. Anyway, uh, yes, um, yeah. they, they put together, I mean, it was one of those things that, that um, in Aarhus, and they built this wonderful library, they built this wonderful library program, it was very much about people, it was very forward thinking, and so they create a conference um, where they invite people in, and now it's becoming a conference that's you know, sort of rotating around the world um, as a way of getting other innovators together. It, it seems like, you know, community builders work on their own community, but they don't stop there because they realize they need to sort of create mm -hmm. and, and, and evangelize. And we need more of those spaces. We, we definitely need, you know, it feels like next library is every two years in Europe guaranteed anyway, and uh, not enough. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I mean, okay, so now with the pandemic, we're rethinking a lot why and how we travel. You know, I think we all know there's a big difference between the craziness of flying thousands of miles to give a 20 minute speech versus, <laughs> you know, the real value of spending time networking, getting to know people in a, you know, in a real life situation. You know, that there's you know, those sort of two extremes of, of encounter. So I think that's something we need to think about how. Don't know if we've learned any really significant new skills of how we can really connect with each other. And I think that's one of the things that PL 2030 wants to do is create, be a convener and create spaces where people can come together and build build relationships. Um, but Marie would also say that, 
you know, the, the, the strength of these relationships comes from doing things together. You know, it's not just talking, it's building a program together. It's sharing, I don't know, staff exchange. It's, you know, working on collaborative projects, you know, and then that, that allows us to sort of think about the European dimension or the European added value of that on top, you know, but that's, that's, yeah, you have to have something that concrete to do as well. So when you're talking about engaging the community, once again, PL 20, 30, the community is really more a community of libraries, but that notion of identifying innovators, connecting them together, giving mm -hmm. them, and, and then joining them together in actual action and task. I mean, I, one of the things that's happened during the pandemic is we hop on WhatsApp and we begin sharing different things that are happening and what's, what's happening. And everyone's like, this is amazing because one, we're not yeah. alone. Um, yeah. and, and then, you know, one of the, the, the new Erasmus grant that we're going to be working on, um, originally was bringing lots of people together across borders to talk about this innovation. And now we're going to have to sit down and figure out how to do it without the airplane. Um, but, it, but I, you know, I love this practice, what you preach, which is, you know, a small group of people, it's not just talking and musing, it's in doing and sharing what they did because a lot of the discussion was for example reopening and yeah. it was we're doing it yeah. next thursday what did you do and we have this level and just building that network yeah, super concrete super practical um yeah that's really really important yeah no and, and concrete and practical but at the same time these are the big thinkers right they also sit there and talk about the service and where we need to go and such and it's yeah. that unique combination of pulling together and actually that's that's I mean for me that's really important that we we can have a space where we can think strategically about where the sector is going in the next 5 10 15 years um it's been really interesting for me to see you know a shift a shift I don't, I don't know obviously you know each country has its moments of anxiety around funding and you know, whatever the life cycle of the policies are, you know, but something that the pandemic has, has, I think it's really strengthened our sense of how essential and how valued we are by the community. Nothing, nothing teaches you that you miss something until you don't have it anymore, right? Um, and I think there's something really to build, build on there. Um, you know, one of the conversations that the library community have a lot is about how to remain relevant and a strong sense that if all you do is focus on lending books, you will not be relevant, you know, down the line. And then, you know, so combining innovative practice with effective advocacy and effective, you know, relationships with the policy makers and the money givers, you know, that all has to be integrated, you know, in together. Um, and I think that's what we're sort of seeing as an emerging good practice. Um, I think the people in our group, they've all had to fight for their money, but I never hear them worry about it or talk about it. Hmm. You know, in, in the sense of, um, you know, they're living, they're living a, a reality of if you're really doing a quality job and you're building the right relationships, the infrastructure most often will support that. Right. So where do you see, you know, as, as look ahead, four or five years, the horrible question, but you know, as the pandemic begins to recede, which it is doing much more so in Europe than it here is in the US, you know, are libraries dif 
different? Does this amplify some of the messages or does it set back some of the, the work that, that PL2030 has done? Has this you know, led people to retrenching or is this going to lead to, to people really looking at libraries differently? I, I I think the latter. I really feel that there's so much energy from the library sector. There's so much frustration at this, you know, close down. I think it's been very painful for some, and it's, you know, from as for so many of us, it's prompted a, a sort of reckoning of the services that one offers, how one offers them, how one remains connected to communities, and you know, I think it still remains the fact that libraries um, offer. The USP of libraries is 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 the human interaction, you know. And um, I was listening to a tech podcast this morning about how all hotel concierges are going to be robots soon, you know. And I was thinking, I don't think that's going to happen in libraries for a really long time, you know. And I think that you know we're we're sort of getting this, you know, having you know 20 years ago it was come and get online in your library. Now it's come and get offline in the library and talk. <laughs> engage, dialogue, um, connect, you know, with your librarian, he'll know with your fellow citizens. And I think that, you know, and I see that in EU policy, there's a question about citizen engagement. There's a question about how to connect with citizens. Um, and I think that we can place libraries at the heart of that. And that's what we'll be working on is, you know, this this notion of libraries as community hubs, but also as hubs for democracy. You know, hubs for real citizen engagement, both within, you know, citizen to citizen, but thinking, you know, even about, you know, policy making consultation, how are how are citizens involved? And it cannot just happen online. Um, and the library is the best place for that to happen. Um, so that's I think that's and I think there's a real opportunity in the next three to five years for libraries to grab. It's, it's one of the major differences between most most European Union nations and say the US, which is what I'm guessing is the predominant audience for this, is the notion of um, enabling enabling legislation and policy. In other words, there's usually a library law, national library and law on the books that establishes the libraries, their their role and what they do and even funding. And I know that one of the trends, I hope it's a trend that's growing, I'm um, thinking of Finland and Norway, where they have built into that library legislation supporting democratic conversations, specifically and, and by verbiage. And I know that one of the real questions about how libraries, and particularly public libraries, are working is citizen engagement, citizen participation. Yeah. Um, how do we get people engaged? Um, yeah. Because yeah, in the US, there's that rhetoric, um, and some libraries clearly do it, but it is very, very, very uneven. And and I think the notion of enabling legislation about furthering democracy, mm-hmm. even that would somehow seem odd here, even though we use that language a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I hope, I mean, you know, Finland's a bit of an outlier in everything, you know, in terms of it's so progressive and so interesting in the sort of models that it's taking. Um, I hope it can be a model. And I think, but I think that there must have been something behind the moment when it, you know, in some ways, sometimes action and normative practice precedes legislation. Um, And I don't think that the legislation was a revolutionary idea when it was introduced. I think it was acknowledged as practice. 
And then it was, you know, when the law came up for revision, uh, there were some smart people who said, this is what libraries are about now. And I, it's one of the things we hope to do next year is to kind of have a sense of, you know, my, my anecdotal sense is that libraries engage in this all over the place. They just don't see it or talk about it in that way or understand it in a bigger context of citizen engagement. And, you know, even a book club falls into that to some mm. extent. You know, uh, when the library is a space that invites people to discuss, you know, something easy, something difficult, something, you know, all of that, that's the beginning of community building, isn't it? You know, um, and then in some countries, you know, certainly in Denmark, they'd be very keen to extend that explicitly to political consultation, to have elected officials in the library to engage with a kind of town hall um, situation, which I think is what you happens a lot in the US. You know, but again, each country at its own pace. Um, and I think that's, yeah, you know, I, I think it's, again, it's about modeling. Maybe I, my gut is that in PL 2030, we're not going to have to do as much as we're going to have to find. I think it's happening all over the place. Mm. And, you know, maybe then just sort of saying, did you realize that, you know, they're doing it here, 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 and here, and just needs to be articulated in this way. You see the impact that that's happening you know, that, that's giving in the community. So, you know, and then maybe we can enlarge or amplify or magnify somehow, you know, on, on a European scale. Um, but I, I think uh, it's it's a question of language and representation maybe as much as practice. Interesting. I hope. Yes, always hope, always hope. Any last thoughts or last words before I let you return to your lovely dog? My, my lovely barking dog um no i think the next five to ten years are going to be great for libraries actually and i i mean you know cautiously they they there's i feel like there's an opportunity for a real resurgence um and i i suspect that some of the work we have to do is around being very clear on our value in a different way than we have been before and and perhaps also it's something you and i've talked about quite a bit the neutrality not neutrality um hopefully cultivating a, a generation of librarians who can be a bit more badass you know in certain in certain situations you know because i think i think the neutrality means standing up against injustice and standing up against you know being for diversity for equality for you know certain certain values and there's no question that they're under attack um but that means that you know we need a champion so i think it's a great opportunity and we know how to do it so i, I always love to end on an optimistic note and uh, i agree can. completely and um, i want to thank you for this but i also want to thank you for for really being a catalyst for making that happen and bringing together um people and it's it's you have a unique skill in how you build community of of folks and i want to thank you for including me in that game but also Congratulate you. you on good work for it. So thank you, so thank you much. much.